Um, great. Well, it's really good to really good to see people, and I think others will be gradually joining us uh, later. Uh, but thank you so much for coming, uh, and thank you particularly to um, both Ben Pugh uh, and Al Rycroft. Uh, so I'm really excited uh, to have them joining us for this evening. So it's uh, been a privilege to get to know uh, Ben over the past sort of three uh, years uh, as a supervisor for my PhD. Uh, so so if, if this all goes horribly wrong, I may not become a... No. <laughs> Um, no, so I may, may not become a doctor. No, I, I don't think it <laughs> relies on that. Uh, but but Ben has uh, released, uh, as um, I shared in the, the invitations to everyone, uh, a book uh, about um, sort so, so of the classic uh, seven step uh, recovery process, but um, sort of looking at that from a Christian perspective, uh, which I know Ben has done with other uh, other areas of theology and other contemporary sort of phenomenon. Um, and uh, Al uh, is here this evening, who I've known for uh, even longer than uh, Ben. Uh, so I actually worked with Al uh, in a church in York uh, in 2012 to, no, 2013 to 14, I think. Uh, and uh, uh, Al, Al has uh, lots of experience uh, working uh, with a church which is just next door to uh, a probation office actually and, and so through that and uh, through our other links in in York um, Al has sort of more I guess first-hand experience of sort of working with people uh, who are facing some of these issues um, so, so I've, I've asked both Ben uh, and Al to, to share uh, some reflections with us this evening uh, and then uh, I'm going to open up uh, for a bit of sort of discussion and for some questions. Uh, and it's, it's just great uh, to be able to gather here uh, together this evening, to be able to learn uh, together and to be equipped for, um, for the different congregations that, that we're leading across the Diocese of, of Liverpool. Uh, and yeah, th thankful, thankful for Ben and Al for their time to make uh, this learning experience possible. Yes, yeah, so, so let's pray. Father, thank you that you have promised us that by your spirit you uh, want to lead us into all truth. Uh, thank you, thank you that you do that uh, as we uh, study the scriptures, uh, as as we learn from uh, fr from the wisdom of the church, as we learn from each other's experience of of witness and service. And pray this evening that you will give us. Uh, minds to learn, hearts to learn, ears uh, to, to learn, uh, that we would be willing and, and we would see the connections between what is shared this evening and our own uh, contexts, uh, that, that we would have a sense of, of what you are calling us to do. Yeah, so we pray that uh, you would speak to us by your spirit tonight. Amen. So I'm going to hand over at this point uh, to Ben. Okay, uh, thanks, Jack. Um, I guess what I'll do is I'll just sort of run through and tell the story of this um, uh, recovery program that I, that I put together. Um, as a theologian, I, I didn't see myself as particularly qualified to put a program like this together. Um, so I did team up with... Um, two uh, practitioners in the area, uh, one of whom was at my church uh, and had many, many years of, of experience uh, leading 12-step programs with, for alcoholics and, and drug addicts. And the other was a, a, a student, actually a BA student who likewise um, had uh, stacks of experience um, uh, working with Narcotics Anonymous. And um, we'll teamed up and we eventually produced this thing uh, called beyond you probably see a mirror image of it there i think uh, beyond this darkness um a faith-based pathway to recovery from addictive behaviors and i think what we wanted to do was take the very best of 12-step recovery uh but also bring into our 
system, uh, the, the latest thinking in addictionology, because addictionology has moved on a long way since the 1930s when Alcoholics Anonymous was first uh, founded. Um, uh, yeah, and, and many, th many things have, have changed. But also we wanted to recover the original Christian roots of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of course, it, it began as um, a discipleship uh, tool uh, with the Oxford group, um, uh, not geared up to addictions in any way at all, but, but for anyone who wanted to become a disciple and, um, and then was taken over and, and made more purely about uh, recovery from alcohol and the, the Christian element somewhat diluted. And so we, we wanted to find ways of recovering that and, and making this more biblically based and, and both this uh, student and myself had both been looking at place, places such as Romans 7, um, where Paul seems to describe um, this, uh, what the ancients used to call acrasia, which is this tendency of ours to act against our better judgment uh, and to do it over and over again, even when we know it's self-destructive. Uh, you might remember how Paul says, even when I want to do good, uh, evil is present with me and, and the, the good that I will to do this I don't do and the evil that I will not to do this I practice and uh, but he also says something interesting in, in, at that point he says it is not me but sin working in me and uh, I think we were very interested by the way Paul is able to detach himself from the problem and, and in that sense to objectify it uh, and in order to make it manageable and and so our our little seven step system starts uh it, it adds the first step to the the first step of of uh, normal traditional uh, 12 step recovery and and this this first first step means that you step back you step outside yourself and you take a good look at yourself and, and this is echoed by um, uh, systems such as rational recovery by Jack Trimpey, uh, and he also says that actually the, the, the key is to is to say this isn't this is not me. This is this is the alcoholic me. There's a there's a there's a truer me. There's a core me that that still wants to recover and not just play the recovery game. But there is somewhere deep within me. There is someone still in there who's become completely smothered by the addiction uh, it having taken on a life of its own but there is someone in me who genuinely wants to recover there's a recovered self somewhere and um and, and so he he helped us to this jack trimpey guy helped us to sort of formulate that and so basically the the, the steps that we came up with would be I've since reflected on them and I've thought, well, there are three virtues, if you like, of recovery and then three virtues of ongoing abstinence that are added to it afterwards. And the first recovery virtue is detachment, the, the ability to step outside yourself uh, and to step outside the thinking that you had previously thought is just a part of you. I can't help this. It's the way I am. Uh, detachment is the, the first virtue and then the second virtue is humility which is where 12 step normally begins you you come to the end of yourself you realize this thing is bigger than me uh, and you 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 stop trying to compete with it um uh you um you, you recognize that you're you, you you can't defeat this by yourself at that point i provide a little illustration from uh, a film uh, called Without a Paddle. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that film. Uh, and in this film, Without a Paddle, um, th th there are these three guys that are lo lost in the um, lost in the in the forests of Oregon. And there's a bear, a, a, a female bear, and um, uh, and she starts rearing up on her hind legs and being really menacing. Uh, the, the smallest and weediest of these these guys and he's terrified the others have managed to make it up a tree and escape from this bear but this small man 
is terrified but one of the guys that is up the tree he says i've read somewhere that the way to make a bear go away is to is to curl up in the fetal position and when they see you in the fetal position they'll, they'll just walk away uh, and so he, did, he curls himself up in a ball on the floor whimpering away like that uh, and it, it almost worked too well in fact because the bear then thinks that he's a cub and and it picks him up by teeth and carries him away and starts trying to feed him raw meat and um, but anyway he does escape in the end and I use that as an illustration because although it's counterintuitive uh, the thing to do with with the menace of an overpowering addiction is to stop trying to th stop thinking that you can master it to stop thinking that you can defeat it by sheer willpower but to curl up at a ball as it were and, and to and to bow bow low uh where god could begin to take over and um the higher power of 12 steps can start to take over and of course we can name that higher power as as the holy spirit um and then the third virtue of recovery is love um it, having having found that higher power you you give yourself over to this higher power and again um th there's some inspiration from paul in places like Romans 6, where Paul seems to describe life under a new master. You've died to your old self uh, and you've risen to a new life under a new master, no longer a slave to sin, but now serving a new master. And the more you give yourself over to this new master, the more you, you're able to overcome. Uh, and the key is love, because once you love something more than you love your addiction, uh, the, the power of a higher affection is expulsive it's the expulsive power of a higher uh, affection uh, so the third virtue of recovery is love so those three hopefully get you free and then there are another three virtues uh, of abstinence that keep you free uh, all along bearing in mind that lapses and relapses happen and one of the keys to being able to recover is to is to fail well uh, and to, to say okay i blew it but now i'm going to get back on the uh back on the road and no matter how times how many times we, we blow it we recognize there's no condemnation i'm just going to keep going um so the first virtue of abstinence is serenity and uh, of course in 12-step recovery they make a lot of the serenity prayer Lord, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And in our in our program, we we, we make even more of that in, in that we do encourage uh, participants to uh, find a meditative practice that they that works for them, uh, that puts them back in touch with their deeper self, um, uh, and and. and keeps them in touch with God uh, and to, to practice connectedness to, to God in, in that sense. And then the second virtue of abstinence is veracity or truthfulness. And, and, and at this point we tap into uh, cognitive behavioral therapy insights where you, you, you identify the historic lies that you've believed, you know, it's the whole, the whole principle of Epictetus uh, it's not things that disturb people, but what they take those things to be. And we, we, we've got numerous stories from addicts who there's one that there's one addict where he, he was locked in a room by his stepfather uh, for stealing a suite um, uh, and he wasn't allowed out uh, for days on end, just as a punishment for stealing a suite. He was he was past food uh, but he'd lost the he couldn't see out of uh, presume there was no window or something so he, he, he didn't even know if it was day or night after a while and he banged on the door begging to be let out and in the end he concluded I must be entirely worthless he believed this lie that he must be entirely worthless and, and it's the power of that that drove him in subsequent years to addictions first to marijuana and then to 
uh, strong alcohol, uh, even just you know during his very early teenage years, and before long he was given over to a life of crime. Thankfully, he came to the Lord, and uh, there's a real happy ending to it. But he was an example of someone who uh, was whose life was destroyed by by a lie about who he was. Um, so uh, we uh, we encourage the the virtue of veracity to to uncover the lies, go back to the trigger points go back to the root causes and 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 believe the truth instead of instead of a lie and then lastly the last virtue of abstinence is is vigilance so we, we take some of the most some of the most important points of the of what they've learned so far and encourage them to keep going over those whenever they especially whenever they relapse um and to be vigilant about urges in particular um and there's a lot of uh, good stuff out now that um, that gives very clear teaching about what an urge is and what produces it. What what it, what is it that makes someone suddenly decide, I've got to go and have a drink. I've got I need a drink. Um, and, and often there's a long process preceding that moment of feeling that you're not in control, feeling that you want to take control of your life, but you don't know how to. So is that you end up with a displaced, um, an act of displacement where you want to take control of that thing. You don't like the fact that other people are in charge of your time and you've got no time to yourself, but you don't feel there's anything you do about that directly. So you do something indirectly, you do a substitute action and you take a drink, even though that ends up being really out of control, it somehow satisfies your desire to take control. Uh, and so there's all kinds of insights now into what leads to urges to uh, to act out on addictions. And so vigilance helps us to realize that there are these various urges and to place ourselves out of harm's way as much as we can um, when it comes to triggers. Uh, so that that in a nutshell is is the is the program. And uh, it's it, it's been a little bit road road tested, but not very road tested. Um, uh, but we, we we felt pleased with it. The only the only thing about it that I'm a bit ashamed of is is all the weird um, illustration. I'm a bit of an artist, you see, so I, I put a, a little funny picture at the start of each um, each chapter, and I'm really embarrassed about those now. But uh, otherwise. It, I feel quite pleased with the book. It's now a podcast as well. So I think if you search for the keywords, um, uh, Seven Step Recovery, Ben Q, you'll find a podcasted version on Spotify, uh, which uh, is, yeah, so it's, it's all there. Um, so I, I don't, I, I feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm not an experienced recovery expert, but that, that, that from through the eyes of a theologian that's what I could see that's what I came up with and um, uh, and I, I enjoyed taking the teachings of Paul and finding a way of applying his profound insights into the whole nature of sin in, in, a, in today's context so that's me thank you so much for sharing that Ben I think that's really 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 helpful um I um recognize that people might already be having questions that come to their mind uh, and I'd encourage you to make a note of them um, but at this point uh, before we have uh, sort of our time for just hand over to, to Al to share some of his reflections and experiences thank you Jack um, can you hear me Yep. All right. Good. Um, ben said he feels like a bit of a fraud. I think I feel like a total fraud. So <laughs> there you go. I've got no idea really what, what I'm talking about. Um, the reason that Jack has, has asked me to come and share a little bit tonight is because, uh, as he mentioned, we were both um, together in a church in York where I'm still a priest in charge. And uh, Jack came and, and gave us a year of his time, which was fantastic. Um, just as he was preparing to going to the ordination training process and um and one of the things that we've uh we've we've 
found has happened really since I've been at this church since about 2013 is that uh, we've been led into uh, some ministry with uh, quite a few people who uh, struggle with uh, addictions of different sorts um, and I want to sort of emphasize that I've got no background in that at all before um, and maybe it's worth just sort of telling you a little bit of the story of how that's happened because um, perhaps it will uh, be something that's useful to you in your own context but um, I, I came to this church um, slightly unexpectedly and really as we were praying about what sorts of things we might want to to develop um, in the ministry in the parish and in the local community um, certainly there was always a strong sense that God wanted us to be uh, working with those who were more um, more on the margins really more uh, perhaps more vulnerable in the community uh, and uh, it it didn't escape our attention that right next door to the church as Jack mentioned before we had the probation service um, the York probation service um, and at that time all the probation workers in the city were based in that building and they're about to come back actually because they're being renationalized which is good for us I think um, and also along the road there's a homeless shelter um, so there's um, there was there's quite a lot in the local community of uh, work going on in different ways with people who were probably um, struggling with various uh, issues in their lives including addictions um, and so it, it felt that this was something we should explore um, and really it just we just um, knocked on the door and, and had a conversation with people involved in in those two um, areas of work and particularly with the probation service uh, we just gained an excellent um, contact there and they really said what would be great is if you if you could set up um, a sort of informal drop-in where some of our probation officers could meet with clients and if you have some people from from your church who can be along there just to have conversations with people and really that's what we did and until lockdown we'd run that for about five years um, just a very simple drop-in where people from the church could could chat to others um, who who many of them came in through probation but there were people who who came in for other reasons as well um, as the group kind of got established um, and, and I guess the principles that I've learned just by that experience over those last few years um, have been that the church is um, there's an excellent opportunity for us as Christians and as churches in, in our communities to offer uh, what might be called soft support, I suppose, to people that um, we, we don't necessarily have to have high levels of expertise to offer something really valuable to people who are struggling in their lives. Um, and so just being able to offer this drop in um, space where there was some tea and coffee, and some snacks and some games and people to talk to um, was a tremendously valuable thing for a lot of people who in many parts of their lives felt excluded um, or felt that they they weren't really welcome in groups that others would be welcome in and this was a place where they felt actually they had some ownership and uh, they could be relaxed and that they weren't judged and that they could build relationships with people. And I think that's what we found was most um, significant probably was that for a lot of the, the there's many men who came, um, the relationships that were built were for them completely unusual in their lives. Um, you, the other people that they tended to have um, any kind of depth of relationship with were tending to be people who would have the same issues that they had, the same addictions that they struggled with. And so to suddenly come into a place where they were getting to know people um, who were bringing a bit of a different perspective and maybe just through different lifestyle offering a, a kind of a bit of a glimpse of a different possibility of how life could be was really powerful, I think, for some of those people. Um, I think one thing that was very crucial was that we, we were just there all the time and we're hoping to get restarted again. And even over lockdown, we've been able to run uh, a support group um, which was allowed in the in the winter lockdown, um, which some of these people have been able to continue to come to. But the fact that there was just 
we were just there all the time once a week at the same time and it never changed whereas many of the agencies that they would be relating to would come and go with funding and uh, cuts and people moving on we were able to offer a community that essentially stayed pretty much the same for several years and they knew that it didn't matter if they hadn't come for six months if they came back again the, the, the same old faces would be there to greet them and would remember them and I think that was quite a powerful thing um, and so we would just I think we, we, we felt that we were just there for people uh, not necessarily offering anything particularly amazing but just being there for people to uh, to know that they could come and uh, as Ben was saying before that that sense that there was no condemnation when people had slipped you know there was a, a very much an understanding that people's uh, the process of recovery for these people would be very up and down a lot of the time um, and so we were very we knew that people you know we wouldn't see somebody in six months time and they'd suddenly be fine you know that this was going to be very much a, an up and down situation but we wanted to be there for people um and i guess my my um my warning i i suppose in, in that sort of ministry is is just to be realistic about what's possible uh, for yourself and with any kind of church or christian community that you're part of offering that kind of support to people um it i think it, it can be very very easy if you're isolated in it to then become um to feel that you're so important to people's progress and recovery that you get really sucked in to um you know being available to people all the time and and the demands can become very very significant and you know we went quite quite far out of our way for some of those those guys at various times but it was always within the context that there was a network of of us there was a, a group of us supporting each other so i never felt that i was isolated as the one person who was supporting somebody but there was always more than just one um and and i think just being very clear that um in, in our own minds in our own spiritual understanding of the situation that we are not the savior of any of these people um and we're not crucially important it's it's going to be the work of the holy spirit in their lives that brings them to real freedom uh, ultimately and um their their future is not entirely in, in any of our hands and i think just being very clear that um we're there to offer what we can but that will have its limits and we've got to trust god to be at work in people's lives um in a way that we couldn't possibly do on our own is really really important and um, if we're not going to get burnt out by that kind of ministry um but you know we've 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 seen very encouraging stories and i think um, I, I would just encourage you that they're not linear stories. They, de they generally aren't somebody coming in and then 12 months later, everything's fine and they've had a steady journey towards that. Um, we've had some heartbreaks as well, but we have seen a, a, a really significant number of people, um, not by any means just because of the group that we've run, but we've seen them make progress in their lives. We've seen quite a lot of people um, certainly make steps towards um christian faith some come to faith i would say others much more open towards that very very usually people will be very open to prayer because they're generally coming with a yes anything that might help please you know do do whatever so that's you know in that sense there's a very great openness and a great opportunity in that kind of ministry um and 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 but often actually even leaving aside the whether you know how far they move spiritually often people just because of those supportive relationships have made significant progress in their lives um so i mean i'm saying that from as i say no background in this kind of work at all and uh, no expertise but just really feeling that we had something to offer as a church community uh, working in in partnership with others who knew um, a bit more about this, the situation of the people that we were meeting um, and and it's been a great joy and so uh, uh, I don't know if if that will necessarily be for you in your particular local contexts but if those opportunities arise I would, you know that they, they, they can be wonderful so that's that's what I wanted to share and I'll hand back to you Jack. Thank you so much to, to both of you uh, for that 
and and I think it just just as you're sharing, Al, uh, around you know the importance of relationship, the importance of listening to people, uh, I think ho- hopefully uh, for for those of us uh, in Liverpool Diocese, sort of involved in that work with new congregations, that is ringing some bells, uh, sort of thinking about this. Um, this cycle that we talk about a lot in our work with the Joshua Centre uh, of, of listening uh, and moving through to loving people practically sort of through to community and sort of church coming out of that. And I, I think just, just that story of what you were sharing, Al, uh, of uh, the drop-in, uh, I, I think is, you know, although it's not, you know, planting, a, you know, a new church or a new congregation, I think, you know, it's a great uh, sort of example of, um, the kind of work that I think, you know, I, I know that different people here are called to do on the ground as we listen to people and as we love love people. Uh, I, I'm going to pass over to, to Dan, uh, who's going to sort of steer us through a bit of a QA, and uh, a sort of informal discussion time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Ben. And thanks, Al. Um, that, was, that was brilliant. Um, if you have, if you, on this call, and you have any questions you'd like to kind of chip in um, please do so now or put them in the chat and I'm just going to get the ball rolling by asking a few questions my, myself. Um, first one, Ben, um, just a very practical question. Do you think you could um, just uh, tell us the name of your book again and maybe any websites which you could just signpost us to um, so that we can read a, a bit up, read up a bit more on your kind of thinking and, the, and your steps? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, the book is called Beyond This Darkness, uh, a faith-based pathway to recovering from addictive behaviours. And you'll see it on Amazon. I've got an author page. Uh, so if you search for Ben Pugh on Amazon, uh, it'll lead you to all my wonderful books, including uh, this one here. And, and like I say, I'm on Spotify as well. I don't know how easy it is to find me on there. I, I tried searching for myself on there once and uh, it wasn't successful. But um, yeah, if you try it, because I think on, 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 on Spotify, I've just called it Seven Step Recovery. Um, so that seems to be a good search, uh, search line to use. Great. Thanks, Ben. Um, ben, and how would you um, kind of, some people will be familiar with the 12 step recovery um, process, celebrate recovery, that kind of thing. Could you kind of like mm. uh, basically broad strokes, just kind of, um, obviously I'm not asking you to kind of compete with the 12 steps and say mine's better because it is, um, but um, just kind of just tell us what's the differences, how, how they may kind of differ, because you talked a little bit, you said a word called addictionology, which I thought was a great word. Um, and how, how, mm. things, how, how would you kind of compare the two for anyone who's familiar with the, with the 12 steps, but maybe hasn't come across the yours seven steps kind of framework before? Yeah, well, the, the twelve steps, actually, the twelve step system, actually surprisingly addresses the addiction itself rather little, uh, in my view. Uh, certainly, the first three steps uh, address it head on, and 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 it's the three steps that I think are, are the real power uh, of the um, of the twelve step system. In fact, um, some research by Chester University into uh, interviewing uh, participants uh, of twelve step recovery programs. That they found that it is those three steps. It's that it's that recognizing you're licked and handing over. You know, it's no surprise because Jesus taught about this. You know, you just it's when you hand over your soul. It's giving up. It's handing over. It's surrendering. That's the key to 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 acquiring power. It's 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 um, uh, surrendering power. Uh, that is the key to acquiring power and 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 that that those first three steps are really all about that and then the rest is kind of um extra stuff really that, that's all very helpful you know about uh making an inventory of all the things that you do wrong and, and confessing the exact nature of your wrongs to an individual and telling other people about to us so all those are, are great but actually it's just the first three and uh yeah and and think ideas like that addiction is a disease which um was firmly held to in the 1930s is is no longer widely held uh, and uh, and yet 12 step does i mean there are different schools of thought within 12 steps um 
but many would still say, no, I, I describe myself as a recovering alcoholic. So it is because and that reflects these original ideas that alcoholism is an incurable disease. You, you, mm. You're basically born with it and you'll die with it. Um, but we, we don't agree that that's true. Mm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, basically uh, taking the first three and say that's brilliant and then adding some more insights from Paul and more recent addiction programs on top. Great. So would you say um, are you, if you're mostly influenced by Paul and like Romans 7, where, 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 are, the, where are the bits of scripture, which other bits of scripture would you say um, you've kind of leaned into a little bit in, in your thinking about, about this stuff? I mean, is there anything in the Old Testament which kind of, which kind of undergirds it or have you, is it just Pauline or, or you know, the Beatitudes? I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know where you've kind of got your inspiration from. Yeah, there was a psalm um, that seemed to be particularly uh, helpful. Uh, there are probably a number of psalms that are, but in in the book uh, we do uh, encourage participants to use one particular psalm, which I'll try and find, um, which again is about um, recognizing. Uh, that the handing over power of, of, of power is the secret to, to finding power. I'll, I'll find that for you in a minute, but yeah, mainly it's, it's we're, we're, we're in Romans six, seven and eight, really. That that's yeah. the, that's the core. Yeah. That's great. And would you, would you ever, so if anyone else has got any questions, please just kind of put your hand up or put them in the chat. Cause I, um, um, I'm going to just gonna keep going here. Would you, um, apply the principles of addiction to any other areas of um, idolatry. So in the, same, in the same way that Tim Keller would say, you know, or other people would talk about um, idolatry as a Christian and idolatry leads to addiction and loses your freedom. Is that pushing the whole thinking too far or does that work? Say if you're, you know, you're addicted to, let's, let's use a really trivial example. Let's say social media, you're addicted to your to your dopamine buzz of social media can you can you do this can you do discipleship with this stuff or is it is it only for the hardcore kind of situation oh yeah i mean uh, I, I, we we didn't sort of think about idolatry but definitely we, we wanted this as broad as possible we we picked on uh the classic addictions of alcohol drugs porn and gambling those four were our sort of that those were our big four but uh, the very first participant we had actually was basically a biscuit addict, you know, and, and we, we, we really are open. And, and indeed, we recognize that in most churches, if churches were to run this, they would probably mainly attract those minor addictions among the church members. Certainly, they, they'd get those minor things um, and certainly non-substance related things like addicted to your screen and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it can it can be applied. Um, is it is it mental gymnastics to get there, or is it fairly straightforward? Uh, I, I think it's fairly straightforward. Um, it, it's it's a very thin book, uh, so it, it's it doesn't take a lot to explain. Yeah. Um, but I think it probably repays going over and over. You know, a bit like um, the big book of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous also repays. You know, repeated uh, meditative uh, attention. Yeah, that's great. Okay, thanks, Ben. Um, just turning our attention to a bit more practical. Ian, did you have any thoughts from your um, practice of working with uh, addicts um, in New Horizons? Do you have any comments to chip in or questions to 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 ask? Um. what to say really uh, I think um, I think I agree with what a lot of what I've heard um, the uh, what a couple of times that the uh, Al and Ben both commented about being unqualified or, or words to that effect and um, you know I, I echo that um, I've got I've got no proper qualification although I've got many years of experience um, you know I think uh I think how did Al describe it? Soft, um, soft support or something. Um, I, you know, I think I think humanity is a wonderful thing, um, and being available to people um, 
and I, you know, I think that for, for me ties in with, with with the gospel and how Jesus was. He was available to people. He was accessible. Um, and I don't think um, I don't I don't feel I'm in a position or have ever been needed to go and get qualified or something, um, because because people need pe- people just need people. Um, I think um addictions dehumanize you you know so, so often i mean if, if you've ever if you ever met someone spoke to someone who's high on heroin or is a, or is an addict you you you'll have no difficulty understanding how dehumanizing addictions are um and so to to be that human contact i think has, has the power to bring people back into reality has the power to connect that God part of us mm. that that is is the essence of, of a gospel communicated is that God enters us and and that's true for all of us doesn't matter who you are mm. uh, so yeah I mean you know I sort of think from from smiling saying hello to a homeless person instead of just walking past them in the town center to uh to I mean the uh, at all saints we've uh, not myself but others have run the celebrate recovery program um and we've got some you know we've got some really encouraging stories of people who have made it through um those you know a couple of ladies um a few years ago were homeless sex workers both addicts and um they went away to teen challenge and they're they're three years plus clean following jesus um and you know that's that's really encouraging when when you have that kind of success um there's a guy who who we see fairly often he was baptized um two two years ago at easter um uh, an alcoholic and he and he struggles you know he, he still he still falls down that hole um but but whenever what, one thing I find difficult is that when when people are struggling with addiction, they hide themselves away. And you know how to how how to make make a space where people can come when they're low. You know, it doesn't matter what your sin is, what your vice is. When you feel low, you want to hide. You don't want to face people. You don't want to just mm-hmm. come guilty and 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 sinful. Um, and I, I think something that that every church should strive to achieve is a is an environment where people can come as sinners. Um, and uh, there's one guy who turned up. We, we started a gardening project to have a kind of practical um, something to do with people that's hopefully beneficial for mental health and gives them something practical, positive to do. And uh, what one chap turned up last week with his, with a beer can in hand. Uh, he's not trying to get himself clean. He's just honest about where he's at. But I thought, I'm so glad that he's happy to come and just say, sorry, I need this. Um, because then I can accept him as he is, because that's how God accepted me. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, Jeff, you got, have you got a question? Thanks, Ian. That's brilliant. Jeff, did you want to ask? So you... My question is... Um... The, the humility one, you can't beat it by yourself. So there must be people who start the programme who are not in the gutter, as it were. And does that mean the programme is much less effective for them? Um, uh, and do you kind of say to people, no, you kind of haven't got to the, the, the place where you're, you're open to receive or, or do you just trust that somehow, you know, that they will receive? Um, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Uh, well, as I say, the, the, the whole program itself uh, hasn't been as road tested as, as it needs to be yet. Uh, but uh, but uh, there is an approach to what you're saying within uh, twelve steps that my colleague Jason Glover, who helped write the book, he he talks about raising the bottom. You know, if you haven't hit bottom yet, you have to raise the bottom by saying to people if you carry on like this, where are you going to end up? Do you really want to carry And that's a way of just alerting people before they've, before the, the problem has become unbearable and unmanageable entirely. 
uh, you just point them to where it could go. Um, yeah, that's one way of doing it. How, how does it sort of link with the kind of prodigal son, you know, the um, other two sons, you know, where, you know, he comes to his senses, as it were, when he's got to eat the food of the pigs kind of thing. Mm. Is that is that the sort of, um, you know, that realisation somehow? I, well, I, I'm thinking of a particular character that I know, you know, and, and he just, he goes from programme to programme, mm. but I just, he just doesn't quite I think yeah. it's you know he's just not he, he's going to beat it by himself you know yeah yeah and it just and means that yeah. right yeah yeah a, a surprising percentage actually of people they do actually without the aid of a program uh actually just suddenly one day they just decide I've had enough of this and they get themselves clean and they get themselves uh dry uh, but yeah, uh, uh, as you're talking, uh, all the all the key phrases of my my friend um, Jason Glover, who's who's the one who really knows this stuff here, um, although he's you know he's, he's not a theologian or anything, but he, he he has all these phrases where such as the 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 one two three merry-go-round, where you you get these people that go from one recovery program to another, just doing the first three steps, but never really doing them with any, at any depth, so that it never actually has an effect on them. They never really do. Right. Uh, fully recognize that they are that their problem has become unmanageable they never do fully recognize that the the, the, the only the only way to sanity is through trust in, in, in a higher power and handing their lives over to the higher power uh, they just keep until they get hardened to it they just get immune to it so um uh yeah uh, but i i do think that um that kind of situation is, is usually the raging addict. The raging addict uh, is um, the kind of addict that is going to be a tough nut to crack. But I think um, there is uh, that that step of humility is, is a step that anyone could, in theory, take. Um, any one of us, uh, no matter what our particular problem is, we could take that step if God enables us. Thank you. One um, final kind of thought question, maybe Al, you could um, maybe shed some light on this. Um, I was just kind of trying to think about the the tendency of the church to to run programs, and it's, it almost strikes me as a little bit ironic that you, with the most chaotic people in society, we're trying to run programs, um, and you know, and on one hand, they need some structure and routine because the, of the chaos, but on the other hand, chaos is what they're used to and so structure and routine are difficult and is is there a is there a kind of like a any way of synthesizing the kind of into a kind of more organic relational lifestyle so we're doing this kind of thing with people but it's not come on Wednesday night at seven o'clock or you know in this kind of programmatic way do you have any thoughts on that whole kind of like the kind of the nuance of it and the kind of like the, the subtlety of, of, of that yeah yeah I can try and say something um i mean I, I certainly agree with you i think the the kind of people who who probably struggling with addiction are unlikely to be the kind of people who can turn up at whatever time every week and and do do a program like that i mean it depends doesn't it there's loads of people struggling with addictions they're not all people whose lives are totally chaotic but if if they are the people we're working with um and and to be honest i've i've kind of hoped that we might be able to run something along these lines for a few years and we've not managed to do that not a program um it's been much more a case of um the, probably two things that we've done that i've felt have been really valuable one has been trying to meet up with people one-to-one -one, uh, and it is on a pretty ad hoc basis because there is a very much a chaotic thing but be trying to be available to 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 get together with people one-to-one -one and bringing in some of the things um, I'm sure that um, Ben's program would, would help me a lot in terms of thinking through the kind of things to share with people, but actually being able to, um, to, to talk through this on quite an informal level with people and to bring in the biblical wisdom and the spiritual wisdom and the practical wisdom on that kind of one-to-one -one level when people are, are able to do it. Um, so, so that, you know that's been an encouragement sometimes um 
the other thing that we did was we we've tried to have a sort of spin-off group where we've basically said to people look if you want to just come and look at the bible a little bit and we've done it we've tried to do it as orally as possible rather than reading um and uh some food get together just have a bit of relational time first of all you know getting to know each other better and then uh, a short passage usually from the gospels that we then talk through together so trying to do that in a very informal way and just seeing the kind of responses that that come from that the kind of insights people bring to those passages praying together um, or praying for people at the end um, so it's been a lot less structured what we've been able to do with people um, and we've had the odd time when we felt like yeah this person we, we could I, I can meet with this person every Tuesday for the next 10 weeks and we can really work through something and in my experience it's just never happened for any of those people um, I mean we have there's been a couple of people who've managed to go um, we, Teen Challenge was mentioned earlier uh, you know somebody we've known well has gone through Teen Challenge and it's been amazing for him but then there's been a couple of others who've gone to Teen Challenge and not been able to hack it and left um so you don't know whether that's going to work i would always encourage people to think about doing that and to, to to try and motivate themselves to go to that kind of pretty radical um you know life-changing place but that's a huge decision for a lot of people i mean certainly anyone who's got accommodation who doesn't want to lose it is, is is a really big thing for somebody to say right i'm going to leave my council flat or whatever and i'm going to go down to this team challenge and not know what's going to happen next um so yeah a lot of it's been more informal i would say and less structured um but i would love to try and inject the those principles of the seven step or the 12 step a bit more into those conversations because i think they would probably be really helpful for people yeah thanks Al. thanks jack did you have one final question yeah i'd love to ask al uh so i think one thing that will really shine through through, through what you've said this evening for people uh, and something that I've seen as I've sort of walked closely with you uh, is the value of hospitality and um, I, I wonder sort of two particular practical areas with that um, first I know that you've been able to use uh, like your house uh, sort of in a hospitable way with people obviously we're in really different circumstances with that um, but um, sort of any any principles or uh, practical advice around that the, the other is sort of hospitality around sort of the existing congregation um so, so, so as joshua center uh, sort of congregations we're sort of uh, coming from sort of uh, already planted churches but obviously some of the congregations won't be set up specifically to reach uh, people sort of in in recovery uh, but just i guess sort of both with your house and with the existing congregation sort of how have you found that sort of issue of hospitality yeah, I think it's really powerful to be able to offer hospitality in, in, in any, I mean, even even just as a church and using the church space um, is is makes people feel, you know, welcome and and uh, kind of accepted. Um, we've had we had a wonderful couple in our church who now in Newcastle, but they were tremendously open with their home. We were able to host one of those sort of Bible study groups I was talking about, and they'd cook and people would come round, um, and I, I guess one of the principles for that for me would be um again it needs to be a group there needs to be a, a sort of team of people who are involved with this there needs to be a number of people who are sharing that that burden and that responsibility um because otherwise it's going to overwhelm um people and, and and just i mean i think it's a bit of a um i think it's a bit of a some of your mum's done it as well jack i mean i think it's a bit of a um a sense of really the if the Lord convicts you that it's down to you to do something in this situation, then you've got to respond to that. I mean, there was one particular time when we had someone to stay in our house, um, but there's lots and lots of people that we haven't had to stay in our house. Um, it was just at that particular time we felt it was, the, it was the thing we needed to do and it was, and it was fine. Um, and equally there've been one or two other people in the congregation who at various points have wanted to open their home to somebody but it's got to be on the basis of of a, a pretty strong relationship that's already there i think um because i just think you get yourself in a lot of trouble if you just start sort of saying to the next you know the first person you meet i'll just come and stay at my house you know um but but i, I do think to the extent that we can do it um 
just opening our homes and being hospitable is is it, it can be life-changing because it's something that's totally unexpected i think and totally counter to many people's experience in in their lives up to that point so um where we can we should we should be trying to do that brilliant ant over to you mate yeah, it's my job to wrap up. Thank uh, Alan, Ben, thank you so much. Uh, my name's Anthony. I, I work uh, for the Joshua Centre in the Liverpool Diocese as well. I'm one of the team. It's been really good listening. It, it's actually taken me back to a place which was very formational for me in my ministerial training some 15 years ago. I, I, I managed to, to wangle uh, a month in the US working with a community in Houston called Mercy Street. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mercy Street as a church for people in recovery. Uh, but because it's in America, it doesn't do things kind of small scale. There was 500 people in the community. It was one of those huge churches attached to an even bigger church. I spent a month working with these people. And uh, I've not done much ministry amongst people with recovery since then. But my overriding memory of that time in, in, at Mercy Street, which blew me away, actually, was the Saturday celebration and they celebrated their sobriety, which is not a term we often use in the UK. Uh, they literally, at the beginning of every service, anybody who wanted to stand up and just celebrate their sobriety, whether it's just one week sobriety, in some cases it was four years, five years, 20, 30 years sobriety, they would stand and they would, they would shout out, I've been sobriety now for you know, six months, whatever. And the whole house would, would go crazy in celebrating my overriding memory of, of ministry in the US with people in recovery is, is, boy, when they came to that place of meeting with Christ and, and some level of recovery, they knew how to celebrate. They had such thankful hearts. And, and that had a huge impact upon me. And it just reminded me that you know, this, this, is, this is real Jesus ministry we're talking about this evening, isn't it? It's, it's ministry among, amongst lost and broken people with whom Jesus spent, seemed to spend most of his time, actually, if you read the Gospels. So thank you for reminding us of, of Jesus' ministry. And uh, there are a number of our Joshua centres and leaders who are right in the thick of it. They're doing it, they're living it, they're breathing it. It's my privilege to come alongside them and, and to pray with them from time to time. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for your wisdom and your advice this evening. And bless you guys in your ministry as you continue to a challenge and educate us really with the, this area. A little bit of housekeeping before we pray out together. It, there's no Joshua session meetings in August because we go all over the place on holidays, some of us and that kind of thing. Uh, we will be back on uh, Monday the 6th of September for a Joshua prayer session. 8pm, you'll get a reminder, we always remind you of these things, don't we? We nag you, in fact, we don't just remind you. Uh, there will be a Joshua session at the end of September as well, you'll get information in due course. Those of you that were disappointed last time, uh, anybody listening in or those here this evening, we had Anthony Delaney booked and Anthony Delaney was going to talk to you about multiplication. Unfortunately, we had to cancel that at the last, last minute for very good reasons. He will be coming back in the autumn to have an hour with us to talk about how we multiply our congregations and how we raise up leaders. That's the kind of stuff we'll talk to Anthony about. So there's more to come. But thank you so much for being here this evening. Thank you. We appreciate your time. We know that you are busy people. Uh, I think it'd be a good thing for us just to pause, just to have some space and just to allow the Holy Spirit, maybe just to prompt us with, it might just be one thing one absolute gem of the spirit that we take away from our time something you've heard a challenge just a word from god through what we've heard that makes you want to do something about it what would that be let's just sit with that just for a moment Holy Spirit, 
Would you prompt us? Would you speak to us? Would you guide us? Thank you. Well, Lord God, we just take a moment to recognise that we are actually all recovering. We're recovering sinners. And only by the grace of God go we. Would you enlarge our hearts this evening for those people in our communities, our neighbours, people in our church families who have wrestled in the area of addiction? Would you enlarge our heart for them? Thank you, Lord, for your example. Help us to follow it. For in your lovely name we pray. Amen. Once again, Alan Ben, thank you so much for your time, for being with us this evening. Thank you, everybody, for being here. We will be in touch with you again in the very near future. God bless you this evening, and I hope you have a lovely August. If you go on holiday, enjoy. Bless you.